Hi, and welcome to the second episode of the Women Writing Podcast. To start this podcast, I'm going to read a little bit from the book that I will be discussing later. This is a female text. This is a female text composed while folding someone else's clothes. My mind holds it close and it grows, tender and slow, while my hands perform innumerable chores. This is a female text born of guilt and desire, stitched to a soundtrack of cartoon nursery rhymes. This is a female text, and it is a tiny miracle that it even exists, as it does in this moment, lifted to another consciousness by the ordinary wonder of type. Ordinary, too, the ricochet of thought that swoops now from my body to yours. This is a female text written in the 21st century. How late it is, how much has changed, how little. This is a female text, which is also called a quena, a dirge and a drudge song, an anthem of praise, a chant and a keen, a lament and an echo, a chorus and a hymn. Join in. This is an extract from A Ghost in the Throat by Darian E. Griefer. Please excuse my pronunciation of the Irish words. Um, I am trying to get them as close as possible, but I'm not by any means an Irish speaker, so I probably will make mistakes, and I hope you can excuse me for those when I'm pronouncing names etc. Um, I have watched interviews with Darian Negriva to try and get the pronunciation on point, but they'll probably, for native speakers, will be a lot of errors. So just putting that out there at first. A Ghost in the Throat is a book I read probably a year or two ago and has just stayed with me all that time and I have reread it for this podcast, which was a complete delight. Um, so I'm really excited to be able to share one of my favourite books, really of all time, with you guys and I really hope that you enjoy the discussion. As you can tell from the extract I just read, which is from the very first chapter of A Ghost in the Throat, this is a book about what it means to be a female writer, to write in your head as you do laundry or some other chore, as you nurse babies, as the years blur and your children seem to grow up in the blink of an eye. Inspired by, even obsessed by, or haunted by another Irish female poet, the famous Eileen Davni Connell, who wrote a lament or keen for her murdered husband, the author navigates motherhood, desire, ambition and art, guided by this spectre, her double. She delves into the rich, dark depths of Eileen Davni Connell's keen and also into her history to uncover what has been erased from the historical narrative, what has been forgotten or written over by men. This is a female text. This book is a powerful, brilliant, poetic work about dichotomies that collapse into each other. Motherhood imbues both these women's writing, infusing it with the pale ink of milk. It's not put in opposition to art, as some suggest. For Philip Larkin, the enemy of art is the pram in the hall. And writing a type of dissection, a type of excavation, also allows this author to examine the female body, how it changes, how it wants, how it grieves. Darian Negriefer is known mostly for her poetry. She was born in Galway in 1981 and has lived in Cork for many years. She often writes bilingual poetry and A Ghost in the Throat is also saturated with the Irish language. I'll talk about bilingualism later in this podcast in Dairy Knee Griefer's work, and I will also talk about themes such as motherhood, desire, guilt. Please keep listening if you want to find out more. First, a little note 
on Eileen Daphne Connell, the ghost who hovers over these pages and who we also meet as a vibrant, rebellious girl, as a woman in love, as a woman who keens and whose grief becomes the keen that daringly griefer first discovered at school and comes back to later when she needs it most. The poem, translated by Daring Negriefer at the end of the book, describes Eileen's romance with Arto Lyra, who, Negriefer tells us, was one of a younger generation of what had once been a noble family of the Gaelic gentry, barred not only from accessing education but also from behaving publicly like the gentleman he felt himself to be because of the penal laws that were in place in Ireland at the time, and who, in Eileen's text, is desired far and wide. Eileen Duvney Connell says, Oh, my bright-handed horseman. She also describes him as so elegant and fine and as very desirable amongst other women. She says, many modest gentlewomen found their eyes shyly following. Merchants' wives always stooped their curtsies low for you. Arto Lyra was killed because of the penal laws, because, as Darian Negriefer says, he was making a spectacle of the laws designed to crush him. He refused to give away his horse to the man, Abraham Morris, who demanded it for the humiliating price of five pounds, which was completely legal at the time, and Morris arranged his murder in response. It is not art, however, despite his boldness, his brightness, who consumes Darien Griefer's thoughts, whose line she turns to in the middle of the night when her baby is feeding, and who she carries around with her wherever she goes. It is Eileen, this woman whose name fell from the records, whose burial place is unknown, and yet who wrote this piece of art, this female text that has been transmitted first orally and then through the written word down the generations. A female text of resistance, of testimony. Dehoney Griefer's book takes place in the domestic space that Eileen too would have known, a space where children are brought up, where wives get to their knees to clean, but also homes that are warm and bright and full of song and story. Eileen says in one stanza of the poem, and never did I regret it, referring to marrying art. For you set a parlour gleaming for me, bedchambers brightened for me, an oven warming for me, plump loaves rising for me. Negriefer plays on the idea of the poem too, or any text, as a space, one which can be ordered, arranged, like rooms, like a house. Yet even as Negriefer uncovers this woman's work, trying to reassemble the fragments of Eileen's life that we are left with through the letters of men that knew her, she also makes space in her own text for other women who are unacknowledged traditionally. The servants, for instance, who must have made the home welcoming for Eileen. After all, it was an art doing the actual labour. As Darianne Griefer calls them, they are shadow women doing their shadow work, the kind of shadow women I come from. In this book, the line between invisibility and visibility is fine. It blurs and dissolves, and only the pen can demarcate it again. The author revels in erasing herself through her daily work. The obliteration of a list of chores brings her a strange kind of perverse joy. But this erasure, if enacted on women, can also be dangerous, especially for a woman writer. It is too easy to get lost in the erratic orbit of others' needs, as Darian Griefer says. Even preg pregnancy, after all, as she describes it, is giving of the body with a selflessness that goes unnoticed, even by the woman herself. Her body becomes bound to altruism as instinctively as to hunger. Sometimes a female body serves another by effecting a theft upon itself. If this mother is also a poet, she cannot lose herself so completely that her art too gets lost. It is in her dialogue with Eileen that the author makes herself visible again. After four babies, after nights on the NICU ward, 
after she feels like she is just a body pumping and pumping milk again, as a writer leading her towards the only rooms that could help, as she puts it. Both types of labour, birthing and writing, are women's work, Negrifa shows. She says, my weeks are decanted between the twin forces of milk and text. She emits pale syllables of milk while sipping her own dark sustenance from ink. Through tracing Eileen's life and work, the author recovers a female line she can write herself into, one that can sustain her. A voice, she says, which is transmitted from Eileen's pregnant body to her own. The chapter of female text references Ellen Sisu's idea of écriture féminin, or writing in the feminine. And Ni Griefer mentions Sisu by name later in the text. She says, In choosing white ink for my tattoo, I thought of the milk bank. I thought of the keen, emerging from a sequence of pale throats. I thought of all the absent texts composed by women, those works of literature never transcribed or translated. I thought of Ellen Sisu. There is always within her at least a little of that good mother's milk she writes in white ink. It is worth noting here the anaphora of I thought, or the repetition at the beginning of each sentence of I thought, which becomes a little like a chorus, a keen in itself. In some ways, this entire book is a lament for the forgotten, for women who are ignored and whose trace is erased without thought. These two types of labour, however, also bleed into each other. We've mentioned, for instance, how Dereni Griefer calls writing poetry a type of homemaking, pointing out that the Italian word for a paragraph of a poem, stanza, literally translates to room. She also uses language to do with domesticity such as stitching. She describes her daughter, who is a living female text, dressed in the bright pink cardigan, cardigan knitted by her grandmother, a female text in which every stitch is a syllable. She makes visible all the invisible work that women do, all the traces of love and labour they leave behind. In a passage entitled Instructions to Make a Marionette, which demonstrates the experimental nature of this text, which borders something like autofiction, she says, In every page there are undrawn women, each waiting in her own particular silence. She points out that text, after all, comes from the Latin verb texere, to weave. The keen form belongs to a literary genre worked and woven by women, entwining strands of female voices that were carried in female bodies, as she says. There's this long-standing association with women in the body, men in the mind. But in Irish tradition, in which poetry was transmitted orally, often by women, this dichotomy collapses quickly. Dereni Griefer emphasises the power of the female body from which the voice comes, from which the written word ultimately emerges. The two aren't separable, both labours are linked. And women of all generations come together in these pages. Eileen, after all, was a twin. There are no women in this text who could exist without the women who came before them. Darian even makes space for Art's horse, the one upon which he was shot and murdered, who was also female. She professes in an interview with the Redline Book Festival 2020 that this is her favourite part of the book. It is certainly a beautiful, heartbreaking one. The horse's life is not unlike many women's. She is schooled in servitude. She is the unnamed, a further absence among all the female absences that are missing from this tale. Dereni Griefer writes about the acts of giving she and others like her have performed. She donates milk to a milk bank, for instance. And she also mentions donating to one hair, which will be made into wigs for those who really need it. She points out that the 
DNA embedded in shorn hair is a variant called mtDNA, a mitochondrial substance inherited exclusively from the female parent, which only daughters can pass to the next generation. A ponytail, therefore, a nice nod to Art's horse, holds a direct female line. This female line is both a reassurance and a fear. She wonders what darkness she will ultimately pass to her own daughter. She worries what girls and women like her daughter will give of themselves next. What she is teaching to her daughter or passing down to her. Is she teaching her to be bold and brave like Eileen? To give voice to those who cannot speak for themselves? Or is she teaching her to erase herself? Like Derringy Griefer, the author does in her daily life. To make herself into something acceptable? A good girl like Art Olahar's mare? Guilt gushes through her text as it does through Eileen's if for different reasons. As she says, the ritual of giving myself to another is so exquisite, I have made an invisibility of myself, neatly concealed in rooms made by female labour and repetition and milk. She repeats this entire phrase later in the chapter, acting out in words what is occurring to her, a cycle she's caught in and can't escape. Yet like Eileen, the author's life doesn't stay neat, it doesn't stay concealed. Eileen's grief is loud and devouring, her desire too. And the violence done to the women of this text is not neat. Not only is it erasure, but the many small acts of violence the author has to translate, the word she uses, throughout her life from girlwood onward, such as a man insulting her, which her daughter too, after all, when surely inherit. Her own anger, her own desire, weaves its way into this female text. I could say so much more about this book, about the landscape, about how Dairy Griefer writes about nature, bees and submerged forests, about how the lines of fiction and non-fiction in this novel blur. She says, for instance, my mouth holds both truth and lies. She imagines Eileen's life to the point where she is imagining things she cannot possibly know, such as Eileen's first son's first words. But I don't want to say too much. I don't want to ruin the incredible experience that reading this book is. So I'll just leave you with a taste of it with the ghost of another's throat.